0: All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Um, This morning, we are in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Get all this stuff up here. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, um, is going to be our text this morning. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. We are starting a new series this morning entitled Square One, Building Your Life in Christ from the ground up, And I'll talk a little bit more about the, the series as I go through the introduction, but, but we are going to be in this series for, I don't know, a couple of months. And we're going to be looking at those things that are the basics of the Christian life, those things that are basics of the church. Essentially, we're going back to square one. And as we seek to go back to square one, the hope is that from square one, we can build our life in Christ from the ground up. We can build um, our own life. We can build the church. Um, And we can see growth personally as well as growth corporately. Um, And so that is the idea that uh, with this new series, Square One. And and this morning, we're really starting with a a very simple question. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? And we're going to see that from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I plan to read this a little bit later in the message. So let me just go to the Lord in prayer now. And then we will dive in. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity for us to gather together as the church. Lord, we um, find it a privilege to be able to do that, to be able to freely gather um, and to open your word and to study it, to, to sing to you, Lord, to, to learn more about who you are, God, to learn more about who we should be as a disciple of Christ and what that really means. And this morning as we walk through this text, help us to answer that question. And then help us, as even Nathan prayed, to apply that to our lives. In all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recently at, at our house we had the front door of our house restored. It had been on the house since the, the house was built and, and the hard morning sun, it comes in and right in Texas, you know, that morning sun is super hard and it hits right on the bottom of the door. It spares the top part of the door the way our, our archway in, in the front of our house is built. There's not a lot of sun that hits that, but but that hard morning sun hits the bottom of that door. And, and over the years, the sun had deteriorated the bottom of the door and I don't know how long it took for that to take place because the folks who owned the house before us they decided that they were going to fix the door before they sold it to us a couple of years ago but but they didn't really do it do it right they didn't take the door down to the hardwood and then begin restoring it from the base there they tried a quick fix they went out and they purchased some some paint that matched the stain on the top of the door, and they painted the bottom of the door. And I'm sure that at first it looked it looked fine, um, but over time, as the sun continued to deteriorate the door even more, since it wasn't sealed and done properly, that the paint started looking bad and as we would go to the front door we didn't use it all that often we go in through our garage but every time we go to the front door it bothered us and we were like man we've got to get this fixed and then we want to make sure that the door is going to remain on the front of the house and not get all messed up as it was getting very weathered and so we decided that we were going to do it right and so we took it down to the bare wood. We had all of the top coat and all of the the stain removed from the door. We we literally took it back to square one, all the way back to the bare wood. And from there, the painters they restained it and they resealed the door, and it, they did a great job. You know, it looks like a brand new door now. But in order to get there, they had to take the door back to square one. And with this series, we're going to do something similar. We're going to go back to square one. Not only is the beginning of the year a good opportunity for us to revisit the basics, but at time, in order for us to move forward and to see growth, we have to go back to square one. And that's what we're going to be doing with this series. We're going back to square one, and from there, we're going to build our life in Christ from the ground up. And we're going to begin the building process with... The concept of a disciple. And it's not uncommon for us to misunderstand what it means to be a disciple. We see this in in Jesus's own ministry. Those who followed him missed that being a disciple wasn't about being the greatest. It wasn't about sitting in the most privileged position. It wasn't about getting from Jesus what it is that you wanted. There were many people who followed Jesus just simply for what they believed that he could do for them rather than the fact that he was the Christ. You see, it's, you see, it's possible for us to misunderstand what it means to be a disciple. It happened in Jesus's ministry. And it happens today as well. Many misunderstand what it means to be a disciple. Maybe you misunderstand what it means to be a disciple by by equating church attendance with being a disciple, thinking that if you come to church on a regular basis or even if you just come to church every now and again, then you are a disciple of Christ. Or they might mistake their own family's church attendance for them being a disciple, right? They're a disciple by connection my my grandparents or or my parents they they go to church and so because they go to church, then I am a disciple of Christ because I am in their family some believe being connected to a social justice cause makes them a disciple. And so others believe discipleship is only for the super spiritual. Like if you really want to to know who Jesus is, then you participate in discipleship. But it's not always for just the us regular Christians. It's for the super spiritual. Or maybe it's a program that that you participate in for just a, a, a few weeks or a month. And as you go through this discipleship program, now at the end of that six weeks, you are a fully formed disciple of christ see misunderstanding discipleship is is is, happens in a number of different ways but misunderstanding discipleship is not just kind of like a agree to disagree type of misunderstanding it is a base level understanding that those who call themselves christians need to understand and part of our vision of the, as a church is to be a, a church that makes disciple-making disciples. And so if we're going to be a church that makes disciple-making disciples, then we all need to be on the same page as to what a disciple is, what it is that we are seeking to make. What it is that we're seeking to become as well. And so what is a disciple. I'm going to give you three things that a disciple is from this text today. I'm sure that we can add more to the list as far as like different characteristics or marks of a disciple, but but these are the three things that I see in today's text. And in order to be faithful to the text, I'm going to give you three things that a disciple is. And first, a disciple is someone who seeks rest in Jesus. A disciple is someone who seeks rest in Jesus. Look at the text with me, starting in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 11. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know last year we uh, got a bunch of free books in Gentle and Lowly and there's still some out there in uh, the foyer and we have a bunch more in the office as well if you want to Take some of those books, feel free to do that. Hand them out to your friends and neighbors and coworkers. Uh, it's a great, great resource that we were gifted and we want to freely give that to you as well. And the book is written as an extended explanation of these verses right here that we just read. And I believe the book is important because popular culture has a tendency to paint Jesus as someone who is, who is hard, someone who is harsh, especially towards those... Who are sinners. But that is far from the truth. When we allow Jesus to tell us who he is, he reveals that he is gentle and lowly. In other words, he is not a hard or harsh taskmaster. Jesus is not trigger happy, ready to smite us as soon as we sin. Instead, he is gentle. He is tender towards those who are sinners and sufferers. And not only is Jesus gentle, but but Jesus is also lowly meaning that Jesus is accessible. We don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus. He's not tucked away in a white castle somewhere surrounded by some impassable moat. Jesus is lowly. Jesus is accessible to us. And we should come to Jesus. We should approach Him because He offers us rest for our weary soul. Jesus is able to offer us rest because he can do what we can't do. I don't know about you, but but sometimes I'm scrolling through Facebook and I come across these videos and they and they highlight these incredible workers and these videos are an absolute waste of time, but sometimes you're just scrolling through and you're like, "Okay, I want to see what this guy can actually do." And it's typically somebody who works with wood or 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 metal or you know tile or something like that and they they paint the picture of like check out what these next level workers can do and you I'm sure that you guys have seen these videos I've seen these videos I've wasted lots of time watching these videos but but the skill set of these people is absolutely next level and you watch them do stuff and you're like man there's no way that I could do that like I can there's no way I could tile my bathroom the way they can or or if I was to lay floor like that it would take me like five times as long but this guy is just knocking it out in no time and i look at that and i'm thinking man there is no way that i could do that and the same thing that i think about those workers and you probably watch those videos and think about those workers as well is the same thing that we should think about jesus and what he has accomplished on our behalf there is no way that we can do what jesus has done no amount of effort on our behalf could ever get us to the same level as Jesus. And it's when we try that we wear ourselves out, that we become weary. You see, when we compete with Jesus, when what we are trying to do is we are trying to earn our salvation through our own self-effort. And we need to stop seeking self-salvation. We need to come to Jesus, as he says here. We need to come to Jesus... For rest. And that's what the true disciples do. They rest in Jesus' work on their behalf. They recognize that they are sinners, that it is their sin that, that, that hinders their relationship with the Father. You see, God is holy, He is absolutely set apart from us. And we can't come into His presence on our own because we are. Unworthy. We are unholy sinners. And there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves holy. There is no amount of work that we can do. There's no way that we can pay the debt that we have with the Father. You see, the wages of sin, the scripture tells us, is death. And that's what we deserve. We deserve eternal. Death, eternal separation from God, eternal separation from all that is good. But Jesus has repaired our relationship with the Father and he has done so by dying on our behalf. And all of those who believe in Jesus, who believe that Jesus has done that for them, has died on their behalf, has sacrificed himself for them, will experience rest, this rest that Jesus offers us. You see, true disciples come to Jesus for rest rest from the consequences of their sin rest from the consequences or the burden of of seeking self-salvation if you're here today and you're weary know that the only way that you're going to experience rest the only way that you're going to experience relief from this burden is by turning to jesus Working longer, working harder, you know, trying to be a better person, giving more, will not ultimately result in salvation. It will not ultimately result in the rest that, it, that you are seeking. You see, only Jesus, only Jesus can provide us with the rest that we desire, the rest that our souls long for. And true disciples recognize that. And they come to Jesus for rest. But disciples don't just come to Jesus for rest. The disciple submits to Jesus' authority. Look at the text again in verse 29. We see what Jesus calls us to do. And he calls us to, to take his yoke upon us and to learn from him. And we'll focus on that first part there in this section, to take his yoke upon us. You see, a yoke is a piece of farm equipment that is attached to an animal, like an oxen or donkey, and that and allows them to pull the farm equipment. And it's usually associated with extremely hard work. I mean, imagine being an animal on a farm whose job is to plow through hard soil day in and day out. It's not an easy task. A yoke is typically associated with very hard, very difficult work. But notice what Jesus tells us here about his yoke down in verse 30. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, that's not not typical at all, right? Work on the farm is hard. Work on the farm is laborsome, but not so with Jesus. Jesus is not calling us to come to him so that he can place a, a heavy burden on us. Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and that his burden is light. <coughs> and while Jesus flips the script on what it means to take on a yoke, nevertheless, we're still to take his yoke on and we're still to put it on. And taking Jesus' yoke on signifies submission to his authority in our life. You see, there is this idea that we don't have to submit our lives to Jesus, right? That, that we can believe in him and, and that's all that, that we need to do. Everything is, is great, but, but that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's not just saying, hey, believe in me. You don't, you don't have to submit your life to me. Just believe in me and that's all that you need to do and you're a believer and you're gonna be saved and all of that stuff. No, we also must take his yoke on us. Jesus is not just calling us to mental ascent. Instead, he's calling us to submit our entire lives To him. And I know that some want to argue otherwise, but but if we think about what salvation actually means for a minute and why we need it, we need to be saved from the wrath of God because we have actually rebelled against God. We thought that we knew what was right and wrong. We followed our own will. And as you look at the span of biblical history, you see that, that those folks who followed their own will, things didn't really work out well for them. You know, just think about the book of Genesis, for instance. And you see here that, that man is, is really good at, at rejecting God's will. And you see what happens to them. You see, God offers blessing and life to the main characters in the book of Genesis. And their default reaction is to reject God's blessing, to reject his offer of life. And their default reaction is failure. You know, God starts with Adam who fails in a huge way, right? We are experiencing the effects of sin today because of Adam's failure. And through God, uh, though God gave him dominion, though God placed him in a garden, and he said, look, you can have dominion over everything that I have created. You can name the animals. You You can work it and keep it on my behalf. You can go out and extend my name to all of creation. Adam decided to reject that. And he thought, well, I know what is right and wrong on my own. And because he rejected God's way of doing things for his own way of doing things, his failure plunges the human race into sin and the effects of sin. Noah is next, and, and God essentially restarts with Noah, but Noah cannot keep things together either. Nor can Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. And his sons and grandsons and great-grandsons Well. They all fail as well. Our default reaction is to reject God's will for our own will. And that doesn't result in blessing. Instead, that ends up resulting in curse. You see, we think that's going to result in blessing. We think that we know that we can how to do things and that we can do things much better than God. And we go down that path and we find that at the end it doesn't result in blessing. It results in And so part of the salvation process then is to admit our failure, to admit our rebellion, to turn back to God, allowing him to have the proper place in our life as the king. And it's important we submit our lives to Jesus because there is no true salvation if we don't allow Jesus to have authority in our lives. You see, Jesus is the king of kings. To come to Jesus is to allow Jesus, the king, to have authority that he deserves in our lives. And true disciples, they submit to Jesus's authority. They don't do so begrudgingly. They don't say, well, if I want to be saved, I've got to submit to Jesus' authority. No, they don't do so begrudgingly at all. Instead, they do so out of joy, recognizing that God's will and wisdom is what is best for them. See, the book of Psalms opens with these two verses here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, it's a key word, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You know, if I'm honest with you, when I first read these verses as a youth, I had trouble with them. You know, I could not understand, you know, why would this psalmist, why would he delight in the law of God? You know, to my knowledge at that point in my life, the the law of God was just a bunch of of rules And, and I didn't really like the rules that God had for my life. I wanted to reject the rules that God had for my life. I thought that I knew that I could do things, you know, much better than God. And how could the psalmist delight in these rules? I didn't like them. How does he like them? Why does he like them? These are the questions that I would run through my mind. These are the things that I would think as I read this as, as a youth but as I matured I eventually recognized that God's law it represents his will it represents his wisdom it's based off of his character which is absolutely and completely good. And so when the psalmist talks about delighting in God's law he is saying that he delights in all of who God is. He recognizes that God desires us to experience his goodness which is why he provides us with the law. True disciples, they recognize that as well. Instead of seeking ways to wiggle out from underneath Jesus' authority, they submit to Jesus' authority. They recognize it is what is absolutely best for them. See, true disciples submit to Jesus' authority, and they do so joyfully. And not only do true disciples rest in Jesus and submit to His authority, but a disciple is a learner of Jesus. So look at the beginning of verse 29 again. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. <clears throat> and here we see that we're to submit to Jesus' authority so that we can learn from him. You know, there is a reason we live with Jesus as the king of our life. It's not because Jesus is on a power trip. I mean, Jesus is, is gentle and lowly. Instead, we submit to Jesus as the authority of our life in order to learn an entire new way of life from him. You see, it's more than willing to, he's more than willing to teach us so that we might find joy as we live as kingdom citizens. In this way, when we come to Jesus, say an entire new way of life is opened up for us a way of life that that was closed off before and that's because we were living in rebellion to Jesus as rebels we didn't want Jesus' way of life at all we didn't want to walk in his wisdom we didn't want to walk according to his his will we thought that we knew what was good and what was right but as those who are committed to following Jesus we should have repented of our rebellion against the Father. Our hearts should have been changed. We should desire a new way of life, a new way of life that Jesus provides for us. Not only does Jesus call us to, to come to him and to, to learn from him in these verses, but, but when we look at the term disciple, we see that the term disciple, we discover that it means someone who learns from another person by instruction learning is at the core of what it means to be a disciple so much so that we can say that discipleship is learnership discipleship is learnership disciples are those who are constantly seeking to learn jesus to learn what it means to think like jesus to learn what it means to act like jesus and to apply that to their everyday lives now this does not mean that discipleship is just academic, right? I'm not talking about us just gaining a bunch of head knowledge, learning to think and learning to, to live like Jesus involves us changing the way that we live. It involves us changing the way that we think about life. It involves us stepping into a new way of life, a completely new way of doing things. One that should result in us valuing what Jesus values and acting like Jesus acts. That's what I'm talking about when we talk about learning Jesus, In other words, learning Jesus should result in us imitating Jesus. And we see Jesus saying that in Luke 6, 40. We read this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's what we are after. That's what we are after. We should not only desire to become more like Jesus, but as we continue in the Christian life, we should see ourselves becoming more like Jesus. And in order to become more like Jesus, we must desire to be more like Jesus. And for some of you, you you have never become more like Jesus because the desire is not there, right? You're connected to the church for the benefits that the church can provide for you personally not because you see it as a means to become more like Jesus. But if we're going to make progress in the Christian life, if we're going to be disciples, then then we have to start by realizing that a disciple is a learner of Jesus. If you haven't come to Jesus because you want to to learn to to live and to, to think like him, well, you have to ask yourself, am I really a disciple of Jesus? Because At the core, at the heart of what it means to be a disciple, it means that you are learning to think and act like that person that you are to be a disciple of. And as Christians, we are claiming to be a, a disciple of Jesus. At the core of discipleship is learnership. Without learnership, there is no discipleship. And to be sure, learning Jesus doesn't happen overnight, right? We don't come to faith in Christ one day and we're all of a sudden like Jesus the next day. There's the process called sanctification, where we progressively become more and more like Jesus and it takes a lifetime for us to become more and more like Jesus. And while it takes time, while it takes a lifetime, the the key to becoming more like Jesus is knowing that is what it means to be a disciple. Disciples follow Jesus into a whole new way of life, a whole new way of doing things where it's a way of life that Jesus opens up for us as we come to faith in christ and so look at your life are you more like jesus today than when you first came to faith do you find yourself thinking different do you find yourself acting different do you love god's word reading it with others Do you love God's people gathering together with them for for fellowship and to study and and to seek to apply God's word to your life? Do you desire to know more about God's character seeking to understand some basic theological concepts? Are you self-sacrificial giving of yourself and giving of your time giving of your money giving of your resources? Are you missional? Do you seek to build relationships with those in your sphere of influence so that you can preach the gospel to them and minister to them in the way that Jesus would? Are you ministry-oriented? Are you serving regularly in the local church? I mean, these are the activities that would characterize Jesus in, in one way or another as we look at His life and as we look at His ministry. These are the activities that should characterize us as well as we seek to learn Jesus. You see, as we move forward into the new year, it's my hope that we're not only rest in Jesus, recognizing that He is the one who restores our relationship with the Father, that we will submit our life to Jesus, you know, recognizing that, that He is our King, who should have ultimate control over our lives. He's the one who should direct us, but that we would also learn Jesus. Becoming more like him, thinking and acting and caring about the things that Jesus cares about. If we're going to see growth as a church, we're going to reach the community in which the Lord has planted this church, we must be a people who are constantly learning Jesus. Not so that we can fill our heads with knowledge. Again, learning Jesus is not so that it can be academic, but so that we can live differently. And as we talked about last week, week, living distinctly Christian lives is one way for us to reach the community in which we are living. Because we look different than the community. And they see something different about us and that empowers our witness to them about Christ. And so today I challenge you to, to press into what it means to be a disciple. To rest in Jesus. To submit to His authority over your life. To seek to learn him so that you can live like him. Next week, we're going to talk about the best place for learning Jesus. But right now, we got to respond to this message. We can respond by purposing to be a true disciple of Jesus. Maybe you've been attending church for a long time, but you've never really understood what it means to be a disciple. And for the first time you hear that, for the first time you, you see that, you, you grasp that, you can respond by returning to square one and truly living as a disciple of Jesus. Or maybe you've never been a follower of Jesus. Well, today you can respond by, by truly following Jesus, by finding rest and guidance and a whole new way of life in Christ. And Jesus truly is the one who provides us with a whole new way of life, and, and we are reminded of that through the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a visual picture of what Jesus has done for us. And the Lord's Supper is for those who are believers, who are in good standing with the local church. And and if that's not you, if you don't profess faith in Christ, if you're not in good standing with with the church, then I encourage you to refrain from partaking of the supper and to use this as a time of reflection, to use this as a time of repentance. But if you are a believer in Christ, in good standing with the church, then, then I welcome you to the table this morning. And as we come to the Lord's table, we should be reminded that we find rest in Jesus. Rest from our work of self, self-salvation. We find a whole new way of life that Jesus has opened up for us and that we can live that underneath Jesus's authority. And so this morning, as we take the supper together, let's remember Jesus and let's be spurred on to to learn from him. And that night, as Jesus was gathered together with his disciples, he took the bread and, and he broke it, and he told them that this bread represents his body that is going to be broken for them. And in other words, he faced the wrath of the Father, the very wrath that we deserve. And so, <clears throat> hopefully, you have your bread out by now. And so, let's, let's take this bread and let's be reminded of, of Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice sacrifice that provides us with rest. And that night, Jesus, after he broke the bread, he he took the cup. And the cup represents the blood of the new covenant. And through Jesus, a whole new way of life. We've talked about this all throughout the message. A whole new way of life is opened up to us. A new covenant through his blood. And as we take the cup this morning, let's be reminded that that Jesus is not just providing us with fire insurance. He's not someone that we can just add to our current life. Jesus instead is opening up a whole new way of life for us through the new covenant that occurs through his blood being shed on our behalf. And let's remember that now. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come. And let's respond to this message. You know, if you need prayer, I'll be standing down here at the front. If today you've been touched by the message and you see that that Jesus is truly my Lord and Savior, but you've never professed faith in Christ before, today is an opportunity for you to do that. And I'll be down here as well to welcome you, to celebrate the work that the Lord is doing in your life. We'll be here as a church to come alongside of you and to help you begin the process of of walking a new way of life in Christ. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and then let's respond to this message. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity that we've had to gather together as a church to open your word, to learn from it, and to, to learn what it means to be a disciple as we begin this new series. We ask God that you would help us to truly live that out in our lives, that you, would, that you would help us to truly be disciples who find rest, who submit to your authority, Lord, and who seek to learn you each and every single day. And God, if there's someone here today or someone watching who doesn't yet know you, who, who would say maybe before even today that they were a disciple, but after hearing today's message, they recognize that they truly haven't submitted their life to you, that they're not seeking you, that you might work in their hearts today. That they might see you for who you really are the king and savior and that they might come to you the one who is lowly and gentle and they might find rest in you lord today lord we pray that today that you might draw someone to yourself this morning and all this we pray in jesus name amen